Thank you for listening to a message from the Oak Haven Church. The following sermon was recorded during our Sunday morning worship service. We hope that this message will be helpful to you and encourage you to explore the Word of God. And now, this week's message. We, Gail and I, are just delighted to be back with you here at Oak Haven. Uh, we love this church, which means we love this body of people. There are some new faces that I don't know, but, but if you're at Oak Haven, I am anxious to meet you. And there are, I won't say old faces, <laughs> but there are familiar faces here, and uh, we love you deeply. The lesson this morning is going to be about uh, discipleship. And um, before I get going here with what I prepared, I just want to give you an observation that I have. I was fortunate to be able to be in the Bible class this morning, and sitting around the circle with um, devout people who are sincerely interested in doing God's way, and who are being disciples all of the time. And I want to encourage you with something. I know sometimes it can feel that church needs to be about um, a big attendance, and it needs to be about programs and financial security and all of those things. But I'm here to tell you that I think Jesus taught, just be disciples. And you gather as a group of disciples to encourage one another to support one another, and to be recharged for the week's work of discipling that's coming up. And I am here to tell you that it is enough to be good disciples of the Lord. If the master is pleased, that's all that really matters. Now to what I really prepared to say to you. Just a few weeks ago, uh, Gail and I were in Rome, and we were at the Vatican. And uh, during our tour of the Vatican, we were able to spend quite a bit of time in St. Peter's Basilica. It's huge. You know, Vatican City is enormous, and you have the Papal Palace over on one side, and you have St. Peter's Cathedral there, you have the big square and all that. And uh, it was, St. Peter's was splendid with gold mosaics. You, everywhere you looked, there wasn't a square inch that was not covered with some element of gold or a precious stone. And the art was so good, it was just little tiny mosaics way, way up there, but together they made this complete picture. And there were statues of popes everywhere you looked. There was even one little place where they had this tiny pope and uh, uh, they said he'd been preserved for 200 years, and he was about four feet long and just kind of laying in a glass casket. And uh, then they had chapels to various guys in, in commemoration of various popes, and they were splendid. They went off to the side. They were filled with uh, wooden carvings and stone carvings. And the floors, the floors were covered with many, many different colors and types of marble. It was just beautiful. And of course, St. Peter's is where uh, Michelangelo's Pieta is. And it's one of the most marvelous sculptures in all of the world. 
So it was fabulous with devotional art. So after we, we left there, we were with a very small uh, tour group. A little bit later, several, on several occasions, one when I just came out of St. Peter's and another later on at dinner, people who by then in our group had discovered what our background was, that we were religious people and, and so on, uh, they asked the same question. They said, so were you moved by that, by St. Peter's? And I had to think for a moment to give a good answer and a kind answer. But my answer was, no, not really. And then seeing their puzzled expressions, they wanted to know more. And I said, you see, my view of Christianity is different from what I've just seen. I don't view Christianity as an organization. I love art. It's beautiful, and I, and I love to see it, but Christianity is not in the art. It's not in the wealth. I think Jesus taught Christianity as a way of life. Maybe more precisely, a way of being and being changed into the glory of God. I had an interesting reaction. There were those, because there were quite a few who were devout in one way or another, but there were those in our group who were not religious people at all. And they were kind of turned off by organized religion. But they were very kind and very respectful and polite to everybody else in the group who was. And they, so they said nothing about all that. But when they heard me say that, they said, we want to hear more about this. You know, what, what are you talking about? So at dinner that night, which was in a wonderful little outdoor cafe, you know, and there was a lot of pasta. And, uh, and the meal went on for a very long time. And during that meal, I had constant questions. People saying, what is this about? What are you talking about in terms of this, not a religion, but a way of life? So let me explain something of what I'm talking about. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 5. The Gospel of Matthew, uh, one of four, uh, has a section, as does Luke, that we often call the Sermon on the Mount, or Luke's will be called the Sermon on the Plain. But it appears that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is an accounting of what I would say is a typical presentation from the teaching of Jesus. He probably offered this same body of teaching repeatedly in various locales, but we have it recorded here when Jesus is gathered with his disciples and those who would be his disciples who were interested up on a little mountainside. So just picture that. And the important thing is to understand that the Sermon on the Mount was given for and to disciples and those who were considering to be disciples. As you may know, um, 
he starts with what we call the Beatitudes, the blessed are those who are. And uh, there's a whole discussion there, but I want to point you, first of all, to the 10th verse of Matthew 5. It's one of the last of the Beatitudes. And he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. His two disciples. And what is this about righteousness and righteous, being persecuted for righteousness' sake? Righteousness is the quality of God. If you are going to describe God and the way that he is, you can do that in a lot of ways. John will say God is love and so on. But a way to describe the Lord God especially in this culture and in that time, was to be righteous. That is to be not just correctly answering the questions, but to be in all respects, in all qualities, to be right, to be correct, to be whole, to be healthy, to be godly. And so the disciples we're told by Jesus, if you are going to follow me and be my people, my disciples, you're going to need to be righteous. That's a pretty tall order. And then he said one reaction to being a disciple who is truly trying to live in the righteous way is that there are going to be a number of people that don't like it. They're going to feel threatened by it. It's different than the way they are being. Or they just may have no interest in, in what, what your motivation is, and they will persecute you. Boy, what a way to recruit. Yeah. Jesus was like that. He didn't say, hey, follow me, and we can check all the lists of the rewards you're going to get. Instead, he starts out by saying, if you're my disciple, sometimes the reaction to righteousness is going to be persecution. But then he will say, but do it anyway. Now, follow with me as we go down toward verse 13. He says, blessed are people, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is a repetition of what we find in verse 10. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So at this time you're beginning to think, man, if I'm a disciple, this is going to be a pretty tough life. Then he comes to verse 13, and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? Well, salt is a preservative, but it's also to give savor. Basically, what he's saying is you give meaning, you give flavor to life upon this earth. But if you decide that you're just going to be ordinary and you're not really going to be a disciple, well, I'm sorry, folks, but you're kind of worthless. How can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but it is thrown out and trampled underfoot. So he gives another metaphor here. You are the light of the world. 
A city built on a hill cannot be hid. So just picture this. You know, Jerusalem was built on mountains. And as you approach Jerusalem, you could always see the lights shining at night. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, this is the message for the disciples. This is verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Good works. Sounds like righteousness to me. Sounds like living in the quality of God. And so where on one hand you'll have some people who revile you and persecute you because for a righteousness sake, for being a disciple, there are others who will look at your life because don't hide your righteousness, just be godly. And there are others who will give glory not to the disciple, but glory to God. Because you see, it's not the disciples' glory that's important. It's not the, the disciples' uh, reverence for that disciple. The disciple is simply the servant of God. And the point of our life as disciples is to live it out in the healthy, good, whole, righteous way of God. And let others see God shining through us. We talked this morning in class about the Holy Spirit. That's what this Holy Spirit does. It takes us beyond our own capabilities of righteousness and lets us shine before the world so that the Father may be glorified. So he goes on in his sermon talking to these disciples and he will talk about his relationship to the law and so on. But um, in verse 20, he's talking about righteousness and he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. So what's righteousness supposed to be like? Well, it's not supposed to be like the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes were the scholars, the biblical scholars of the day. I would be a scribe. The Pharisees were a religious party that were very, very concerned about um, being pure. They were the purine. They were the, the ones who were trying to observe the law that was given through Moses so purely that righteousness would shine out. As a matter of fact, it was the scribes and the Pharisees that were often referred to as the righteous. People would say, one of those guys walking down the street, there goes one of the righteous. And so what an irony that Jesus then says to this crowd, he says, your righteousness is a different righteousness than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Boy, what does he mean? Well, first of all, remember he's talking to disciples, and a disciple is a student but it is not a student in the sense that you go to school and you learn from a textbook and you fill out the test. A disciple is more than that. A disciple is one who walks beside a teacher and learns his way. 
and becomes more and more like him. He is reflecting his teacher. And that is what real discipleship is about. And remember that Jesus had said that you might be persecuted for righteousness' sake? Well, that is because, not just because you have observed the law so well, but it is because you have become like the master. And so it becomes your way. And so when he comes to um, saying that the righteousness of the disciples must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, he needs to illustrate what he means. And that takes us to the text that Nicole read for us this morning in chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. The introductory verse is verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. The key thing in this verse is the motivation. Why is it that the scribes and the Pharisees who are trying to be righteous, why are they trying to be righteous? The answer is to be seen by others. They want glory for themselves. Now probably they thought, well, if others see us as glory, you know, I'm, I'm getting some praise here, but the Father will also notice it and count me as righteous because I am so good. And therefore, I practice my piety before others so that others may see that I am truly righteous. There's a difference here, though. Jesus is saying, if you're my disciple, don't ever let that be your motivation. He goes on to explain And he talks about organized religion here. And he uses three examples from organized religion. Examples which are not bad things to do, but the important thing is why you do them. Let's read. So when you give alms, that is, giving money to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so they may be praised by others. And we're saying... How in the world would that ever happen? Well, actually, almsgiving sometimes was done in a very organized way. There were sometimes special synagogue services where everybody would come and they would give money, they would give alms. Uh, And the whole point was that. And some people came in and they, you know, there were people like the, remember the story of the widow with the two mites? And Jesus looked over here, and she was very quietly just putting in next to nothing in the cup. And Jesus said, she's given more than all the rest of them. And they said, what do you mean? Because she gave all that she had. Why does somebody do that? It's because of their heart of discipleship. That's what God does, and that's what we do. But these other guys, the supposedly righteous, they were coming in, and they would hold the coins way up here and they'd drop them into the can way down there so that everybody would know just what they're putting in there. Jesus metaphorically says, I'm sure it has to be a metaphor. They sounded a trumpet before them, you know, so that everybody would notice. And what does he say about that motivation? He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward. Everybody clap for him. It's done. But when you give alms, this is to the disciples, to us, Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. 
so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He goes on to the next example. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. By the way, hypocrite is an actual Greek word. And what it means is um, an actor. So actors on the stage are hypocrites. We think that's a pejorative, that's a bad thing right now. But in actuality, hypocritos means you know, it's just one who acts, some, someone who does something that is false. It's not really them. And so he says, the righteous ones that you're talking about, they're hypocrites because they're just acting. As the hypocrites uh, uh, and stand as prey in the, hypoc- in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Once again, there's the motivation. That's the important thing in the passage. Why are they praying. It's not because it has become a part of their nature as disciples. It's because they wish to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. It's the same formula as with alms. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pause a moment. There's a real contrast here. You have the religious people who are being very religious by choosing the biggest words. And then there are the disciples who are praying to a father who already knows what they need. That's about relationship. The prayer is there because it's coming out of, I can talk to God because I am his child. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Folks, that's not a liturgical prayer that is designed to be recited by a congregation as a mindless part of liturgy. It's a good prayer. It's fine to say it together and so on. But the whole point of this passage is, do it like this. Pray about ordinary things. Pray about the life that you share because of the Father and your relationship with him. Verse 16, the third example from religious life. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. You see, that's the formula. They got the glory from folks. God's done with them. But when you fast, you see, it's a good thing to fast. Put oil on your head. That's a sign of health. Um, Wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret 
will reward you. Once again, it's about the relationship with the Father. So how do you square these 18 verses where Jesus says, do these things in secret or do these things quietly and so on, with what you had verse in, in verse 16, where he says, you're a light, you're a city on a mountain, and people will see you and give glory to God. How, does, how can you have both things? Are, are we supposed to be seen during doing righteousness as disciples? Or are we supposed to hide it under a bushel? The answer all comes back to motivation and relationship with the master. The point is, don't do things to be seen as religious. Don't do things for organized religion's sake. Don't do things to be gaudy and to receive praise. Do them. Feed the poor. Care for the fatherless. Pray as we have done this morning. Give alms. Fast, if you will. But do them with the proper motivation because you are my disciple. Do them because we are seeking to be more like the Father. And we have no regard whatsoever to be seen by men. If we do that, then we will please the Master. And that is all that matters. If we do that, if we do these good things that Jesus teaches us, because we are dedicated to him as his disciples and because we love him, the world will see enough and they'll react. Either they'll persecute or they'll give glory to God. The important thing is if you do these things in a pure heart, as you search your motivation, the master will applaud. And that, my friends, is enough. We are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Oak Haven Church. We are located at 2175 Witzel Avenue in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. To hear previous podcasts, visit our website at oakhavenchurch.net.